Well, good morning. Welcome to East Lake Online. It is 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. We are filming this at the almost empty Uptown Theater uh, here in Richland. Thanks for logging in wherever you're at, uh, watching this from home, maybe with family or whatever. It has been an interesting week for us. On Wednesday, although it feels like six months ago, it was on Wednesday, our governor hosted a press conference all about church reopening strategies. Like I've never heard of a, uh, a press conference of fo- you know fully about church <laughs> opening strategies. It's crazy. Uh, must watch TV if you're in my line of work and uh, had some things to say about all of these things. We had a response. We posted a response to it um, and it's up on our Facebook page or our, our website. If you go to our website and go to um, eastlaketricities.com slash corona, you'll be able to see kind of where we want to take it. But let me sum it up for you in a nutshell and save you an hour of your life, basically. Uh, we could open up to a certain uh, degree starting in phase two, uh, and, but it, we'd have to limit it to kind of church size and there'd be some social distancing restrictions and masks on all the time and six feet apart and and just uh, questions about how to do kids areas and all these kind of things. Just honestly, just more questions than answers for that. Um, and something that we just feel like uh, we're not ready to even jump into that. We'd rather wait and have it be kind of more uh, when it feels like Eastlake again. We just feel like putting that on isn't our best option. Our best option at this time continues to be uh, what we're doing uh, right now, uh, which you're watching right now. So I know it's not the best option, but it's the best option we, it's currently offered to us. And we hope that uh, it doesn't have to stay like this for too long. We're anxious and we miss you guys too. We want you back uh, in as well, but we want to do it with uh, uh, all the right things in place to be able to make sure that that happens. So there's an update there. If if that doesn't answer anything for you, you can keep going online. I wrote it up in in about 3,000 more words than that, but uh, we are finishing up a series today, uh, which is typically meant communion Sunday at East. Like anytime we finish a series, we receive communion together, um, which in the past has meant uh, pieces of bread, individual pieces of bread, um, and then a communal glass of juice or wine that you take and dip into that we share with everybody here. Um, That's going to change, obviously, moving forward. And uh, if you want to do that at home today with your family, that's up to you, but we're not going to do that in here. But part seven today of a series uh, that we've been focusing on called Now What? A series really on flourishing. Um, It's a question that says, all right, in light of the way that things look like now, in light of the upside down feeling of of where we've been, uh, what does does not just like life look like, but what does uh, flourishing look like? What is a vision of the good life? What what does it mean to be... um, moving forward? Or what does it mean to be healthy? What does it mean to be uh, like, what, what, what do we want out of this now? And has this changed any perspective for us? When we've heard people say in the past, man, isn't this living? This is living, isn't it? Um, we can either agree or disagree depending on how much weight we put into their opinion on the value of life or how, you know, we think their life is, it matches up to what we value, uh, whatever. The more we respect somebody or admire them or look up to them, the more we listen to their version of the good life or the more weight their version has and how we interpret how we want to invest our life, the things we want to spend our money on, the things we want to save up for, the things we want to accomplish in life, the things that make our bucket list, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Matthew was a disciple of Jesus um, who recorded for us his rabbi's version of the good life in what is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And what I propose to you is early on, he kind of captures for us, not like a daily recording of what took place, but what he remembered after several years and lines them up into five different teaching discourses. This first one being Matthew chapter five through chapter seven, known to us a lot of times as the Sermon on the Mount. 
comes to us in the form of sort of a Greco-Roman wisdom text. He kind of looked at the way things people wrote around him and what they were used to. And one of the things that they may have been used to is, is a, a philosopher, a person who was wise, a person who, like Aristotle, Plato, they all had these wisdom texts. And here was Jesus's wisdom text. Here's, here's the best way to do life. If you believe me, if you trust me, if I've done anything to kind of earn your uh, opinion, if I've done anything to earn uh, your, your admiration or whatever, then take me at my word when I say this is the best way to do life. You're free to do what you want to do, but do you really want to trust yourself in all of this? Why not trust somebody who's gone a little bit further than you, who maybe knows more than you or whatever, or in, in this case has a divine sort of aura about them to be able to say, I think he really means it. I think this perhaps might be the best way to do life. And I, and I, and I believe that because of how much weight I put on the person uh, of who he is. And it, it shows up in a similar format to other Greco-Roman wisdom texts. There's beatitudes of happiness at the very beginning, conditions for achieving said happiness, dangers and warnings of falling short of this sort of thing. And finally, as we're going to see today, uh, a crossroads, a division point, a decision point, a, um, a spot where you can go one way or the other, two roads diverge in the wood, take it or leave it, you're in or you're out or whatever. What are you going to do with what you've heard? That's the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. It shows up in chapter seven as we're going to look at today. And we've been going chapter by chapter not necessarily verse by verse, but like section by section, or at least like thought by thought. Every once in a while, I liken it to like driving a car through Yellowstone where you just kind of like slow down a little bit, roll down the windows, peek at something, and then you kind of move on to the next thing. That's kind of how we've been doing uh, this series. And specifically in light of this pandemic and uh, the upside downness of all of this, um, what stands out now? When he talks about, because we've read through the Sermon on the Mount before, I've done two or three series on this before. But in light of this, in light of all of the circumstances, how would we read this differently? You read things differently having been through things. You read books on love differently after you're married or after you're divorced than you did when you were single. Like there's just different resonances in, in how you interpret things and what things stand out to you, what things cause you more emotional grief, what things like are, are just deeply satisfying uh, versus all of those that are kind of like, that's just not the real world or whatever. Um, we've probably said some of of those phrases about the Sermon on the Mount before, but perhaps now they'll make a little bit more sense, or perhaps now the, uh, there's a, a more of an unveiling of this. There's more of a, a revelation of the truth behind uh, some of the things that perhaps he taught. Would we be more prone to understanding some of the complexities of what people do externally and how that might not match up with what's happening internally? There's a huge piece of this. Um, we said from the very beginning, there is a wholeness component to the Sermon on the Mount. Out. Jesus is teaching people, and he'll do this with the Pharisees later on, like in person stuff. Like, but he'll say, your inside doesn't match what you're doing on the outside. You're so focused on the outside. The outside of the cup is clean, but inside is terrible. You do things so that there's an appearance there. You give, and when you give, you sound proverbial trumpets, making sure everybody knows that you've given, how much you've given, and, and the, the action by which you've taken to do it. And yet inside, it's not matching up. You're doing it with a sense of competition about other people. You're doing it with an eye on your own savings. You're doing it with a, with a critical eye on, on the view of other people. They're not doing as much as I am. All kinds of lack of wholeness 
There's a, there's a, a message of wholeness involved in this, that if you're going to do life, you might as well do it with your whole self and not a divided self because that doubleness will kill you in this way. And it's been a fruitful series for me personally. I hope it's been a small beacon of light for you in the monotony of quarantine living. So today, chapter seven, the second half of chapter seven, um, verses 13 through uh, the end of it to be exact, um, on Matthew's take on the writings and the person of Jesus. And in the conclusion, before we get into this, in the conclusion of the sermon, let me, I'll summarize it for you. We get a three-part metaphor summarizing the thrust of the entire discourse. So three parts, uh, three different images, but they all say sort of the same thing and they're all trying to get to the same point. The first one is a wide, narrow road. The second one is prophets who act like sheep but are actually wolves. And the third one is homes built on rock versus homes built on sand. And what better place than the Tri-Cities to talk about homes built on sand. Am I right? All right. In all three metaphors, the takeaway is essentially the same. And it's basically this. It's hard to tell on the outside what's actually happening on the inside. It's hard to um, look at somebody who's dressed like a sheep and really interpret that they're wolves. It's hard to tell uh, which house is built on sand versus rock. You really kind of have to dig down a little bit. It's hard to tell which road is the right road other than the fact that one's wide and one's narrow. Um, It's hard to match up. It's hard to truly know. This is going to be a difficult process. It's going, to take, um, it's going to take some investigation. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some evaluation after you go through this to really determine if what's on the outside matches what's on the inside. And you know this if you've ever bought a used car from somebody, right? It's going to work fine for a month. It's going to work fine for six months or whatever. They put something in it to kind of make it work. If you've ever dated somebody, you know this, right? For any length of time, um, what matches, what looks good on the outside may not actually match up on the inside and it just takes time for that sort of stuff to reveal itself. If you've ever negotiated a deal with a private contractor, if you've ever bought something from Ikea, looks really great on the outside, right? If you've ever scrolled through posts on Instagram, life teaches us all very well and at a very young age to do what we can to minimize our flaws if people will look close enough. And some of us are better at that than others, but it exists for all of us. We are all in an attempt to uh, push something on an external front that may or may not match up with our internal. And maybe our desire, our desire is there. Like we really want our internal to match up with our external, uh, but we are not willing to sacrifice uh, the uh, ire of others to let our shallowness or our other stuff come through. We will prop up whatever we need to prop up and hope that our internal integrity can catch up. I mean, that's essentially how we do this. And every once in a while we get caught and every once in a while something will come out and somebody, and somebody is going to be in the news for um, pilfering funds, for, for stealing from a nonprofit, for, for having some sort of a separate bank account. And it was never their intention to do it. Or we always thought we'd pay it back. It was just a borrow. It was just a loan. Then it just got out of hand because we always want to prop this external piece up, in, even if it doesn't match up with the internal and really hope that it gets there. And Jesus says, that's not enough. Over and over in his vision, the the best way to do life is, again, wholeness as opposed to doubleness. And apparently, according to Jesus, you have and we have agency on actualizing this in our life. We are faced with two choices on whether or not we are going to live into this or we are not. Um, it was often called the two roads choice or the two ways method, a two ways method. And it's not unique to Jesus. Um, it shows up in, uh, you know, extra kind of literature, extra biblical literature. Um, it shows up even in other parts of the Bible. In Deuteronomy, it shows up. Um, this is this Moses sermon to the people before they enter into the promised land, right? They've escaped out of Egypt. They're kind of learning what it means to 
to be a people. And then, you know, we're going into this new phase of life. And at the, end, at the part of his sermon, at the very end, um, chapter 30, he says, see, before I set you today, life and prosperity, death and destruction. On one hand, you have life and prosperity. On the other, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience with him, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. Or... The other option, I mean, over and over again in scripture, you either have this or this. What are we going to do today, guys? What's our choice? Before we move on to the next thing, what is this? What do you want to do? Two ways, two ways, um, two ways. In Psalm chapter one, I mentioned that as a, as a common wisdom text. It's a very popular psalm. It talks about the way of the wise versus the way of the, the wicked. The, you know, this is the per, kind of person who's, who everything that they do prospers. They're like a tree planted by streams of water. Not so the wicked, for they are like this. Trying to teach these people, whoever will read and whoever will listen, you have a choice of which one you're going to go do. Choose this day whom you will serve. Stands as the subtext to every moral exhortation, religious or not. You'll read it at the conclusion of a New York Times uh, op-ed this week. Um, are we get to choose to live into this or not? We live in a divided America. Which one are we going to be? We, we, we're, we're at the crossroads right now. We get to decide. Um, and here's all the facts and whatever. But what are you going to do with this? Or um, maybe pull it out of the news and something maybe a little bit more relevant for some of you. Uh, do or do not. There is no try, right? Or two roads diverged in a wood and I took the one less traveled by. And that, my friends, that has made all the difference. And yet a critical component of all of this is not that Jesus is just offering us human wisdom, right? It's not less than that, but it is according to Matthew and, and, you know, we're in a church, so we should probably talk about this. It's more than that. It's more than just, this is a better way to do life. According to, according to Matthew, and, and, and I really, I think the Christian take is that yes, it's a wisdom text, but it's also beyond that. It's not just the better way to do life. It's if you believe he is who he says he is, it's the best way to do life. Why not listen to the creator of this as opposed to just you know, somebody who's uh, a little bit better than us or a little bit richer than us or a little bit whatever than us? I can hold in really high esteem someone who's telling me the best way to live life and walk away inspired but unchanged. I can look at somebody and be like, he, great, I, you know, I, think you've got it, I think you've got it together, perhaps even more than, than me or whatever, and I will listen to what you say. We do this all the time, and yet we can walk, we still have a choice. What are we gonna do with this? What are you gonna, what's the next steps for you beyond this? I mean, there's a good chance you do this at Eastlake all the time. Real good, Brent. Well thought out, expertly delivered. Your words, not mine. Something to think about, very much so. What do I do with this? I don't know. But like, I see where you're coming from. I see all of this. It all makes sense. It's all rational, logical. It's there. It's this. It's, it's um, uh, you know, whatever. And that's as it should be, right? Like, I get it. In spite of what you've possibly heard from like other pulpits or people like me, the proverbial buck doesn't stop with me, right? I'm just a guy who is trying to give you my version of the truth that I'm trying to live by. And for the record, a straight, white, male, married, who doesn't have the corner on the market anyway, Someone who's trying like hell to get his internal to match his external, a lot like the rest of you, so you should take it with a grain of salt. That's all I'm saying in that way. That's what people in Jesus' time, by the way, thought had, uh, with all of their rabbis and had done with other itinerant rabbis. For Jesus' audience at the Sermon on the Mount, they were used to this sort of thing. They'd done this before. 
Why do you think they knew to gather at the foot of a mountaintop to hear a new itinerary? Here's the new rabbi in town. He's going to go to his spot. He's going to teach. We're going to listen. We're going to hear his version of the good life, and then we will decide on what we want to do. This was not new territory for them. What we know because of extra biblical literature or intertextamental times, basically there's a bunch of writings that happened in between Malachi of the Old Testament and Matthew of the New, or, you know, those aren't really the last one, the first one to be written, but there's a 400 year period there. We have texts from those those things, those documents. A lot of them show up in the Catholic Bible, the apocryphal texts. Um, We have things of this. We have uh, stories of other rabbis who came through to raise up rebellion to try and uh, push the Roman authorities out and kind of reestablish established Jerusalem in its rightful spot or whatever. And then they would, they would gather a, a, a group of people, a remnant of people, and then they would falter and then fall apart and, and fall apart and do this kind of thing. So they're used to this. This Jesus for them at this point was good, but not like altogether all that different. Come here, the new rabbi who's in town, who's teaching. They knew to gather. They knew this was happening in this. They'd done this before. This is nothing new. The miraculous multiplication of the food and some of the healing stuff, that might have been sort of new to some of them, but they would have probably looked at it the way that you and I look at magicians who are doing their craft, right? Kyle and I have been watching this uh, show on Netflix called Magic for Humans and really enjoying it. Side note, if you're looking for something in quarantine, that's a really good one to jump into. Anyways, um, and in it, I watch it and her and I look at each other while he's doing his stuff going, how did he do that? How did he do that? We'll pause it. We'll rewind it. I know there's cameras involved, so it's always like, you know, there could be some of that. But anytime you've ever watched a street magician, you watch it and you'd be like, I'm impressed. I don't know how you did that. Will you do it again? I'm trying to watch how you, how you figured all that out and how you made that work. I'll stick around to see if you'll do it again. I'll stick around to see if you can do something even more. Listen, if I was good at magic... We'd have a lot more live watchers on the stream right now than we currently do, but I'm not. I'm not good at that. I'm not good at miracles, which is why typically we have a band and we have to give out free coffee and we promise to watch your kids for an hour because we'll do whatever it takes to bribe you to get into the room in this way, which is why this last part is so incredible and we skip by it oftentimes far too fast. Here's the conclusion. He's walked through all three metaphors of what's on the outside may not match what's on the inside. And it's, re- it's going to be really hard to discern what that means and what that looks like and, and which one is right. You're going to have to sometimes go down a road for an extensive period of time before you figure out it was the wrong road. And it might involve some recourse. It might involve turning back around and going backwards. It might be that you've invested into a relationship of a wolf who's dressed up in sheep's clothing and it takes you a while to figure out he's actually a wolf and not a sheep. And you're going to have to be like, dang it, I screwed up, messed up. Somebody who I thought was something, you're gonna, you might have to date a guy for a while before you realize it's not right. And then you have this choice because the fruit now has come out that it's a little bit different because he'll go into the fruit piece and that whole wolves and sheep thing. Um, and and you'll, have to, you'll have to go back. You'll have to be like, okay, that, that wasn't what I thought it was. What am I going to do with this? Even though for a moment, for a while, you're going to have to deal with the fact that it resonated with you and it felt right to you in the time that you made that decision. Because it does and it will. Because it did right here. Listen to what it says. Verse 28 of chapter 7. When Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because... Not because of his magician stuff that he was able to do. Not because of the healings. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. 
In other words, there was something different about the way that he taught. We've heard all of these things before. We knew how to gather. We knew how to get around. We knew where to sit on the mountaintop. But this one, it feels a little different. There's an extra layer of authority that resonates with us. There is a resonance of truth in the way that he talked, that we've heard other people talk before, and it just hasn't felt like that before. It feels more true now than it ever has before. And that's absolutely something to go off of. Something about the way he taught rang true. It resonated with them. It made it feel like this was a high stakes decision for them. It made it feel like, do I live like this or not? What are you going to do with what you've just heard? Jesus is essentially saying, you're going to make a decision at this point to live like this or not. Do these things that I tell you resonate as true for you? Is there something about them that speaks to the depths of your deepest longing? Am I answering questions that you've always kind of had in the back of your mind? When, when, when you read this, when you talk about this, when, does it feel like it's scratching an itch that has never ever, like it's really hard to get fixed? Like it's really hard to get scratched and all of a sudden it's, it's there and you're like, okay, this is doing something for me that I've never felt before. When you hear that you're deeply loved, not because of what you're able to do, but solely because of who created you. And do you really believe that? Does that ring true for you? I mean, that is a message, a core message of Christianity. If you've ever been a part of a church and you thought, you know, the church is all, you know, about this and it's about, a, you know, external appearances and it's a social club and it's all about money and, and it's all about some, a certain socioeconomic class and yada, yada. And then may, maybe perhaps you came into a church, hopefully Eastlake, and you heard a message about God loves you no matter what you've done and who you are. He loves you because he created you, not because of anything you could do or have done. And like, like, does that resonate with you? Does the, have you ever walked away from it going, that's a tra- I don't even know if I want to believe. I don't even know if I want to be associated with the people who say they believe in the way th- that that's happening. But I can't escape like that sort of ringing truth in my core of my being. Like, I want that to be true. I want to believe it, even if I currently can't find myself believing it. I've always been anti-church, anti-religion, anti-this, and yet there's something in me that wants this so desperately to be true. Even if like I can't get there historically, verifiably, whatever, even if I'm looking for proof and it just doesn't, I know it's going to be take a leap of faith. I've, I've always heard that. And yet I find myself wanting this to be true. But as Jesus will say, it's not just resonance alone. Fruit must accompany it. Jesus is essentially saying in that second part, that whole um, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Our grapes gathered from thorn bushes are fixed from figs from thistles. There's an element of as time goes on, what kind of fruit comes out of something. Yes, we initiate based on our resonance. Yes, we go forward with something because we feel at our core it's to be true. But at some point, he's, this is the invitation to say what kind of fruit is coming as a result of this. Will you trust that the fruit of a life well lived is what I describe versus what others may tell you? Will you trust that you can tell false prophets by the fruit of their labor and not by the words of their mouths? Resonation and fruit. The invitation that is offered to these people, his audience that day, and really, if you're not really a Christian and you're watching this and you followed us through this entire series, this has been the invitation since the beginning. Resonance and fruit, does it ring true to you? And will you be willing to look back and and look at the fruit? Does this make you more loving, more kind, more gentle, more this, more this? What kind of a fruit comes out of this? Because if the fruit doesn't match up, according to Jesus, it's, it's not right then. It doesn't matter how good it felt at the moment. It doesn't matter how true it felt for you. If it's not resulting in the fruit 
then it's not really truly there. I mean, isn't that kind of what we've been doing all along for a few months now in the middle of this pandemic? I, f- I felt like this part rang true for me in all of this because there's been a lot of people in a lot of different areas going, this feels right for me. This feels true for me. This information, this study, this, this model, this thing, this, what, you know, how does it work? How does this corona, does it stick to this cup? Does it, you know, is it in the air? Do I breathe it? Do I inhale? Do I snort it? How does this, what's the process for me getting the, how long does it last? Are the antibodies in here? We just don't know. And you hear this from science all the time. We don't really know. This is like all new to us, man. I know, we're, I know like we're smart and you know, we are smarter than you, but we don't actually know. And that's so hard for us to hear. And so as a result of this like unknown state, we find ourselves dealing with like, um, well, this is what sounds most true to me. And we know it's biased based on kind of what we want. Like I want this to be a, a certain way. And so therefore that's going to direct me in terms of, in, in terms of um, which studies I believe the most to be true <laughs> um, or um, which scientists I, I listen to or which news where, you know, I'll get my news or whatever. There's like a resonance, but this rings true for me cannot be a stand alone. Feelings will fall short. It's a great starting point. It really is, but it's not enough. What kind of fruit has that sort of thing produced? If the fruit isn't what I thought it would be, am I willing to reconsider my resonation. Is this a point of reconsideration for me? Perhaps love is blind sometimes. Perhaps what I wanted isn't what always is best. And I think that that's a sign of maturity and actually developmental growth for all of us. An integrated self, a whole person, sees the benefits of both resonance and fruit. And so Jesus ascends on a hill. He gives us his vision of the good life. And upon his descent, the people are amazed. What he said resonated with them, but what will they do with what they've heard? How will that translate into a life well lived? Will that translate into the fruit that Paul talks about in Corinthians of a spirit, a a life that is guided by the spirit results in fruit that looks like this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Are those kinds of things showing up in my life because of how I believe or what I believe or what I do with what I believe? Will it translate to fruit for these people? But never mind them. I mean, this, the people sitting on the bottom of the mountaintop, I hate to be crass here, but they're long dead and gone, right? So the question then for us is, what do we do with this? Does his teaching still resonate with us and what will we do with it? Will we commit to evaluating the, not just like, does this ring true? But if I live my life like this, am I willing to step outside of this and evaluate the fruit that comes as a result of this? Or maybe perhaps um, I've felt like um, another path has been the way that I'm doing it. Am I willing to pause right now, evaluate the fruit that that has produced in my life? And perhaps realize that the fruit doesn't match up with the resonance that I had at the very beginning of this. Perhaps I got it wrong. And that's really hard. But mature people, mature people make bad decisions. Mature people, but when they make the bad decisions, are smart enough down the road to be like, the fruit isn't what I want. I don't care how good it felt at the beginning, how right it felt, how true it felt then. It's not the fruit that I want. So therefore, I must have got it wrong. So I got to go back to the beginning and reestablish my fruit. And the invitation, the invitation that shows up for Matthew's audience that day or Jesus' audience that day in Matthew and the one for us uh, over and over again in Christianity is, does the words of Jesus, does the teachings of Jesus, do the way that he lived his life, does it resonate with you at the core of your being? Does it feel good to understand that you are loved not because of anything that you've done, but because of who created you? 
And if that resonation is enough, are, are you willing to go down this road long enough to be able to discover if this makes you a better person as a result of this, a person who is more loving and more kind and more generous and more all of these things. It's an invitation is what it is. Resonance and fruit, resonance and fruit. And the people who heard him that day said, we've never heard anybody teach with this kind of authority before. And perhaps that's even true for us. And so the question then becomes, what do you do with all of this? That is the invitation to live into the way of Jesus. Nothing more and nothing less. And like we say over and over and over again, the ethos of our our community as a whole is always this. Everyone is invited no matter what to come experience. Let this sit here. Well, you can't sit here now, but some, at some point in the future, sit here and listen to this. Does this resonate with you? Will you be in a community of people who, where this sort of fruit can sort of bloom? Can we can evaluate this? And will you experience the way of Jesus and walk in his um, truth? So, that concludes part seven of our Now What series. And hopefully um, this has been an enlightening way of reading the, a, a really familiar passage with lots of familiar text, but in a brand new way. Thanks so much for being a part of this. If you've missed any of these parts leading up to this and they strike your fancy and, and you're like, I, I just, I want to know more about this. EastLakeTriCities.com slash talks is our website where all of the previous six talks, including this one have, uh, this one will be posted there Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever, uh, will be up there to be able to follow along. Um, Real quick, if you have not already done so, below this screen right now is a thing called our Connect Card, online Connect Card. If you fill it out and click that button, one, it's going to, hold on, don't do it right now because it's going to take you away from this site. Um, but let us know that you're watching. We'd love to know um, who is uh, a part of this, um, either while you're watching this live right now or perhaps on replay at a future date. Um, there's a spot in there to let us know some life updates uh, as well as prayer requests or anything going on in your life that you think we should know about. If you are a first-time guest as well watching this online, somebody sent you this link or you just found us uh, somehow or whatever, please let us know as well that you're watching online. We donate money to a different organization on doing good things locally and globally. We call them our monthly wear love initiatives. And for the month of May, Second Harvest uh, Tri-Cities is a food sorting area uh, organization out in Pasco that works to kind of supply all of our food banks locally. Uh, And they're like super busy right now, obviously, considering the circumstances. So let us know that you're here so we know how much to donate uh, to them. And as Eric mentioned in the video, we have our community marketplace that is slowly reemerging with new things to be able to commit to and, and join and uh, experience community outside of this, whether it's uh, one-time uh, Where Love Serve opportunities or groups or um, uh, Zoom groups right now or whatever. Um, we are gonna, we're, we're gonna be moving towards, as we reopen, that's gonna be towards the beginning of reopening uh, is um, because you, know, you can function a lot in, in smaller groups rather than large groups. We're gonna be directing a bunch of energy into some of those things. Um, we wanna start um, sort of a be the bridge thing for, for uh, some uh, like racial education stuff. And we, we just got a lot of stuff that we're kind of planning in the works. And that's going to be the forefront of kind of emerging ideas that are resulting in this. So if you haven't already done so, eastlaketricities.com slash marketplace, go there, check on that and uh, keep checking your weeklies for updates um, to that. All right, that'll do it for today. I'm going to read a benediction for you and then get you on your way. Here's what it says. Lord, you have done great things for us, many of which we have hardly noticed. You are Lord over the past, sovereign in the present, and victorious in the future. Even in our trials, we celebrate you. Amen. May that go with you this week, whatever it is that you're facing. Thanks so much for being a part of this today. We're going to start a brand new series next week. Hopefully you can join us as we continue online at 10 o'clock. See you then.